Christianity is perhaps as unique as the Christian who engages with it. Countless churches across the world are made up of these individuals, thus no two Christian experiences are the same and no two churches are alike. There are trends though. If you grew up in evangelicalism, like me, you might be familiar with a style of church that is activity-based. You go to church, you pray and worship actively with others, you might be involved in programs and activities during the week. Thus, losing evangelicalism or deconstructing your ideas about it might lead you to feel like you are cut off from God because God was tied up with church-based activities. Now, I know this is not what we're taught, but sometimes it is what we experience. Enter Keith Christich. His is a style of faith that causes us to stop, reflect and realize and connect with the God within us. It's beautiful, it's challenging and it's completely new to me. So I hope you enjoy today's session. I'm Kid Kennedy and this is Unchurchable. Hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. Uh, the gentleman I'm about to speak to has the patience of a saint because we've already recorded this session and um, yeah, I messed up the audio on it. So <laughs> I'm talking to Keith Christich from Buffalo in New York State. Um, Keith actually approached me about coming on the podcast and I'm really glad he did because the topic is contemplative spirituality and um, I'm speaking for myself and for a lot of my readers and listeners coming from an evangelical um, background and, and coming from kind of the prophetic and apostolic movements within that there can be so much push within your spirituality that it's hard to actually just sit and and accept quiet and and thrive in quiet you feel like you have to be doing something or praying harder or pushing harder so Contemplative spirituality was a bit of a mind bender for me, so I'm really glad that um, Keith uh, volunteered to come and speak to me, not once but twice about it. How are you today, Keith? <laughs> hey, thanks for having me back. Glad to be with you, and I am well. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. It sounds like uh, COVID is um, calming down in your area of the world. In my state, but not throughout all the country, so uh. things are getting worse rather than better, but my state in New York is, is quite all right. At least for now. At least for now. So I guess there's probably no better time to talk about um, finding peace and, mm. uh, and you know, and silence, I suppose, within all of this craziness that's going on in the world. So can you tell me, how did you find yourself, well, first of all, what is contemplative spirituality? And second of all, how did you find yourself practicing it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well... I would say, you know, to box contemplative spirituality into any one definition would do it a disservice. But, of course, we have to apply words to this, this experience of just what it means to slow down and what mm -hmm. we encounter when we enter into stillness and quietude and what happens when we open our mind, open our hearts to God, not as a great being in the sky necessarily, but rather as the ground of our very being. The inner life of our own inner life, the heart of our hearts. So what does it mean to slow down? What does it mean to be still? What happens when we enter into solitude? Can we be content there knowing that God is alive and well within us? That is a challenging thought on a couple of levels, if I'm honest, because, um, again, growing up evangelical, my image of God, you know, of course, we talk about God being, or Jesus being inside of us, alive inside of us, or, you know, all of that. Mm -hmm. But there's still this kind of mental image of 
of God as the big white bearded man in the sky, um, as of God being external. Um, and although on a theoretical level we know that's not quite the case, mm-hmm. it, like still that's how I visualise God and how a lot of people visualise God. And slowly as I deconstruct my faith, I'm finding that is changing a little bit. But the idea of finding God in a different way is quite a challenge and stilling the mind, especially in crazy times like this, like 2020, is is quite a challenge. So how did you, like, were you raised in church um, and how did you kind of find your way into this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. I was raised in the church, very evangelical, had a mm-hmm. fairly healthy relationship with the church growing up, with the entire, with my family had a healthy relationship with faith and um, although I, I wouldn't consider myself an evangelical today, it, I, mm-hmm. I have a fond memory of those times of in, in that worldview because it was it was fairly healthy and a mature expression of it. And so grateful to be raised in it. But through college was just a really eye-opening experience through just really times of my own, taking my own sort of devotional practice and really sinking into the silence and sort of by accident falling into these meditative states, just literally in my dorm room all alone. And I thought, I think this is meditation, and meditation at the time equaled Buddhism. So I, I, yeah, I went straight to Buddhism, got some books out there, and started to investigate. But shortly after that, and that was helpful. I mean, Buddhists certainly know what they're doing when it comes to meditation. <laughs> um, they're kind of the experts. And yeah. But I was introduced to a, a Catholic of. Franciscan Friary, a contemplative retreat center, where they started talking about divine union and contemplative prayer and, and union with God. And it was it was like, oh, this is more the experience that I was having back in my dorm room. Right. Now, okay, so there's a few things that really interest me here. First of all, how did your family react when they found out you were looking into Buddhism? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, good question. I think, um, well, I remember telling family right away, my father maybe, um, with my father saying, you know, I meditate now. And he said, oh, so you're a Buddhist. And I was <laughs> like, no. <laughs> um, so I think there's just this like cultural, especially within the evangelical or maybe Protestant worldview is just like, you know, meditation is an Eastern thing. Meditation is a Buddhist thing or it belongs to Hindus. When in reality, the whole Christian contemplative tradition, there's a wide mystical tradition that what do you think these nuns and monks were doing for centuries and centuries, thousands of people all over the world in monasteries and nunneries. They're practicing contemplation. They're practicing quiet listening. They're practicing meditation. So there is this wide and rich and deep history within the church that, you know, we sort of just don't have available to us if you're raised in that more conservative or evangelical worldview. Yeah. No, it's, that is interesting to me because, um, I find that sometimes we get so hung up on on uh, terminologies, uh, on the syntax of what we call things, that uh, sometimes that stops us from looking further into it. And I think meditation is one of those topics. Um, I remember in my in my other life when I'm a I'm a research and medical uh, ghostwriter. Um, John Cabotson was a name that came up um, and he was a man who started bringing kind of meditation out of the world of the Eastern kind of mysticism and into mm-hmm. medical practice um, to kind of despiritualize it. And it's actually, there's a fair bit of research out there saying that meditation is good for you in terms of health outcomes because of its ability to balance 
the nervous system in terms of parasympathetic functional or fight or flight function on the other mm-hmm. side. So, so that's interesting to me. Um, but then to actually come into this kind of contemplative traditions within, you know, Christendom, um, the divine union interests me. So I'm going to put a pin in that and come back to it. How did you find this friary and what was your experience there? Yeah, that was, I mean, it's uh, my second home in a real way. It's still only two hours away from the city that I live now. Mm-hmm. And so it's somewhere I still visit once or twice a year. Um, and it's just a beautiful space. I mean, I always encourage people to enter on retreat, go to a contemplative retreat center, book yeah. a weekend away. And this space in particular, 400 acres of land, all, all, built, all the buildings are built from the wood of the land. So it's incredibly earthy. Mm-hmm. And I, I had the luxury of living there for two months after I graduated college. This would have been over uh, 10 years ago. And so I was able to live there and take part in the day-to-day practice of waking up and doing contemplation, having prayer in the morning, going to Mass in the afternoon, having prayer in the evening, and sort of falling into this contemplative lifestyle of working on the land and balancing work with prayer and meditation. So it was a very rich experience because it's really bringing together the, the active life and that more meditative contemplative. Yeah. So do you think that this kind of spirituality is easier for some personality types than others? Mm. Uh, I think certain people have a, a particular bent towards finding, uh, like slowing down. There's certain personality types if we're talking I mean, if we're talking about the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs, whether you're an introvert mm. or extrovert, introverts, sure, they might have an easier time with slowing down because they're just naturally maybe at home yeah. alone more than an extrovert would be. And yeah. so I think there's predispositions, and especially in, in the Enneagram as well, that certain typologies would have a disposition, but I think it's something accessible to all all of us. And the reality is we're not our personalities. I mean, that's... Yeah. One of the fundamental teachings within the Enneagram and within yeah. contemplative spirituality is you are not your mind. You are fundamentally soul or spirit or your true self. And so your personality is just one dimension. So if we limit our contemplative or spiritual practice because of our personality, that's a that's sort of a false idea. Yeah, false dichotomy. That's that's quite interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing because I can recall seeing on your Instagram this week saying that you should sit in medica- in meditate medication. That's a whole different thing. You should sit in meditation for 20 minutes every day. Unless you're too busy, then you should sit for an hour. <laughs> I had a bit of a giggle at that. Um, now, in terms of the personality thing, I suppose a good thing to talk about is the fact that contemplation and overthinking they're not necessarily the same thing are they oh right uh that's a super important (laughs) point to make is yeah i think the word contemplation like if we say to contemplate on something in the west that often is you think it's about think deeply contemplate Mm -hmm. on this i'm contemplating this i'm thinking deeply in contemplative prayer is a as prayerful meditative discipline is nearly the opposite of that it's about yeah. letting go of the thoughts about turning inwards and letting go of emotions letting go of thinking letting go of commentary letting go of anything that passes the mind's eye sort of moving towards 
an emptying of the self, not necessarily an emptiness or a complete stilling of the mind because that's, you know, you're just bound for failure if that's your goal. But it's certainly not to think about. Yeah. So for a beginner, um, what are the key steps in in terms of learning this? What does contemplative, um, you know, a contemplative practice look like in terms of spirituality? And like for context, um, I don't know much about the Enneagram, but I know I'm a one wing nine and um, I, in the Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENTJ, I think. Um, so quite extroverted. I'm quite driven. And, and the way I, like, my experience within Christianity was like, okay, so a Sunday, any given Sunday, for example, I'd turn up at kind of like 8 o'clock for music practice, which would go to like 8.30 or 8.45, and then be like almost an hour of praying in tongues, kind of mm-hmm. hard. And it was it was there was a lot of push to my my spirituality. Uh-huh. And I was kind of... I developed quite, um, for, for a while, I was quite a workaholic and I found it very difficult to just sit still. So for somebody like me, whose who's faith had kind of evolved that way, that was a lot about doing and pushing, what are the practical, like, where would where would somebody like me start mm-hmm. in, in contemplative spirituality, just in really practical terms? Sure, yeah, I think... Um... You know, I, I think trying to make things easy for ourselves, if it's mm-hmm. if we have a natural dis- disposition against doing that, maybe because you're yeah. an extrovert or you're used to go, 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 do, 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 how do you just set yourself up then for comfort? Mm-hmm. I really appreciate, you know, the whole devotional practice born of the, you know, in the evangelical church of devotional yeah. time, having quiet time and having a space. So I always encourage people to create a space that's kind of reserved for this one unique thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this unique practice of slowing down, maybe practicing right away in the morning before you put on your cell phone. I encourage people to practice protect your hours, which yeah. means keep the first hour of your day and the last hour of your day completely screen free uh-huh. so that we don't wake up and go to our phone and yeah. turn on our email and go check out Instagram and the whole thing. And then all <laughs> of a sudden the mind flows outward, outward into the world where contemplation is about kind of gathering the attention in mm-hmm. and so I just encourage people right away in the morning to set aside time as a sort of centering and grounding experience um, mm-hmm. and taking on a specific practice I practice 20 minutes of centering prayer every day as a meditation practice okay. um, so that's my go-to tool and I also have my time for reading and writing um, mm-hmm. so I really have a, a you know a full hour that's really devoted to this prayerful meditative um space cultivating you know the roots of their my own inner life yeah so so what is centering prayer and there goes my phone (laughs) yeah centering prayer is a you know it's a contemplative prayer practice in a formal meditation practice um, Mm -hmm. born born out of the the christian mystical text called the cloud of unknowing Mm -hmm. and i highly recommend that book if, if your listeners are looking for an interesting uh, middle middle age um, okay. classic text to read, but um, Thomas Keating was the popularizer and, and created this method as an updated version of what the heck all these monks and nuns were doing. Ah. Um, he was seeing all sorts of you know younger Christians leaving the church, finding Buddhism, finding meditation, and he was thinking, well, we have this deep and rich tradition. So tr- this Trappist monk Thomas 
Keating created this method of centering prayer sort of as a updated version of what all these monks and nuns were doing. Mm-hmm. And it's really just a way of quieting down, opening our heart to God, saying yes, and doing that in a 20-minute practice in a very formalized way, which I, I could share more about, but um, yeah. Go Leave by the book, I think, is, is probably... Now, it's an interesting statement that you make there because um, it was 1984 um, that Thomas Keating kind of started doing that work, wasn't it? Um, or when he started publishing on it. It's interesting that you say that he was observing a lot of young people leaving the church, and that is definitely still the trend that we're seeing now. Um, I find it interesting there was a particular piece of research done by um, an Australian research organisation that was looking at um, millennials leaving the church. There was only a slight rise in atheism and a slight rise in um, agnosticism. Mm -hmm. We're talking like less than 2% from memory. The, the biggest rise was in people who were um, identified as still spiritual mm-hmm. but not religious. And a lot of these reasons had to do with not fitting into the church or, or not mm-hmm. being behind the teachings or, you know, social justice and stuff like that. So your website, you talk about um, f- nourishing your spiritual life without all the woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> or too much religion. So this is very much about finding that that balance in between, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is. I think we there's a lot of people that are uh, revolting against, you know, the rigid religious dogmatism, the mm. black and white thinking, the right and wrong, either or dualistic mindset. And those that flee from that end up, in my opinion, either do end up in a world that's like cold, hard into spirituality or religion in general, or can just end up in some sort of spiritual woo-woo where, like, we kind of believe everything, everything's real, (laughs) and it it, it doesn't have any, like, real grounding. And so, yeah, yeah, trying to really find that middle way or third way that sort of integrates authentic religion, like good old, like, mature, healthy religion with really taking on the inner life seriously, taking the inner world as seriously as we take the outer world. Which, and that's a beautiful thing when you can gain mastery of it, but it can be a bit of a challenge in the beginning, right? It's a challenge all the way through. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Thank you for that encouragement. (laughs) Buddhists Buddhists talk about cultivating beginner's mind, which is just the understanding, especially when it comes to meditation, but we can widen this to understand the whole spiritual journey. We're always beginners. We'll be nothing but beginners. That every time we sit down to meditate, we are beginning again. We don't become an expert A-plus meditator. Meditation sucks a lot of the time. We think it's supposed (laughs) to be peaceful and nice and blissful. No, no, no. It's a lot of chaos, but it's worth it for the fruits of the practice outside of the practice. So I really aim at that that beginner's mind of understanding that we're just beginning again, beginning again. I like that because the beginner's mind, whenever you're a beginner, you are observing, aren't you? You're observing mm-hmm. how things are done. You're learning. You're, mm-hmm. And I think the psychological term is metacognition or the observance of your own thoughts. Um, <clears throat> that's sort of a key in, in meditation, isn't it? Not to engage with your thoughts so much during that time, but to observe them and let them go, notice what they are, and then let them float off is that anywhere near correct i'm such a rookie with this stuff (laughs) 
Oh no, yeah, that's 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 on point. There's just so many meditation practices, thousands of various meditation so that you can do. Sit down and close your eyes and you could meditate a thousand different ways. So in a general sense, you're totally right. And in other ways, depending on what practice you're doing, centering prayer is subtly different than what you're explaining, but it is yeah. ultimately a way of detaching from identifying with the thinking mind. Yeah. Now, back in the beginning of this session, you mentioned in passing the divine union. Um, and it, it piqued my interest in, in all of, I guess, in, in navigating my way out of um, one way of being and, and doing faith. Um, and, and, like, and for a lot of readers and listeners as well, kind of figuring out who they are in relation mm -hmm. to faith and spirituality. What is this divine union? Um, and, and, you know, what were the key takeaways that you, you got from learning about that? Yeah, well, I would, I would say it's, first of all, just experiential knowledge of God. You know, when we talk about mysticism, we talk about divine union. It's not a cognitive way of understanding what how reality is or thinking about something so we understand it. But to really wake up through the practice of centering prayer or of meditation or contemplative prayer, that God is indeed within us. Mm -hmm. And we have that within our religion, that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. That in contemplation, we put on the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. that, that, is, that our eye, our deep eye is hidden in Christ, the universal Christ. And so it's really just this recognition that God and I are already one. That's what the contemplatives stand on, whether you're Muslim or Buddhist or, yeah. or Christian, that God is not the guy in the sky, as we imagine, but the very nature, the very beingness of our own being. And so contemplation is just learning how to slow down and to rest in our being because we are, after all, human beings, not human doings. <laughs> and God is that being within us. Yeah. This, for people who've come out of kind of Calvinistic faiths, this idea of total depravity, this idea that we mm -hmm. are... Um, you know, that we're sinners and that um, God hates sin and it's only through Jesus that, that we can relate with him. This idea of God being in us can be a little bit of a challenge to wrap our heads around. Um, I mean, and again, there's mental assent to the idea is one thing, but a deep knowing is, is a different thing. Um, in your kind of practice, if you come across people who found that idea a bit of a challenge, and how do you help them through that? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think the simplest way would be to point to whatever scripture tradition they're growing out of. So if, mm. if it is a Christian evangelical, it's right there, that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Is that a metaphorical statement? Is that a literal statement? You know, how do you actually approach that? So if you approach that seriously, then God, the Spirit of God, is already alive and well within us. We don't emphasize that. If you're in the evangelical church, that's certainly yeah. not a message that gets emphasized, but it's right there in the heart of the scriptural tradition, at least. Yeah. Now, I guess another challenging thing, and, and the majority of the listeners of this podcast are growing out of the Christian kind of faith, so I think you're probably mm. safe to kind of lean on that particular worldview, um, you know, when you answer, but um, 
And in that long-winded thing, I forgot what the question was, which was great, wasn't it? This is what you get for interviewing before you've had a full coffee in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, so so when we're navigating our way out of this, um, a lot of, in my experience, a lot of my evangelical peers were kind of taught to resist certain emotions because they weren't emotions of faith they were or they weren't emotions of submission or they they weren't emotions of um like like for instance purity culture kind of was like okay don't don't think about anything that might be sensual or related to that side of Mm -hmm. you so and and don't you know anger is not a good emotion or you know feeling sad about the past or ruminating on the past that's negative emotion um so we're kind of taught to compartmentalize and, and hate parts of ourselves um, does contemplative practice within or contemplative Christian practice, does it unify all of these things? How do we process um, these different like feelings within the context of a contemplative meditation practice mm-hmm. for a Christian? I have had more time to think about questions to ask you. So, you know, you're kind of like... You're getting some tricky ones today. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I, th- I think one of the... One of the first things that comes to mind is you were talking about, you know, original sin or depravity and that it's, you know, we rely heavily on the idea of the original blessing Mm. that we get taught, we get conditioned that we were created good and then we had original sin, so therefore you're sinful. We kind of skip the fact that originally everything was blessed. Yeah. And that goes for our bodies, that goes for our sexu- sexuality, for our gender, for our mm-hmm. emotions. The whole self-system is already blessed. And so contemplation is a sort of return to that original blessing. And in that is a strong affirmation of our sexuality. Sure, a strong uh, affirmation of our emotions, not a way of rejecting them. Now, yes, mm-hmm. in practice, we're letting go, we're letting go, we're letting go so that we're open and mm-hmm. clear and like, like the sky itself, open, yeah. empty space. So we're letting thoughts go by as if they're just clouds in the sky. But as far as a rejection that I hear you talking about, mm. I, I don't sense any of that. Right. So there's a difference between a letting go and a rejecting um, is, 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 I think, my paraphrase of that. And in the letting go, it's kind of a more healthy, I don't have to be consumed by this. I don't have to feel guilty about this. I can just observe it um and i guess it's it's the difference between it's like the difference between overthinking and contemplation isn't it it's kind of Mm -hmm. um bringing it onto a dare i say it a healthier or more constructive plane um yeah so the, the there's some really interesting stuff on your website keithchristich.com that's k-r-i-s-t-i-c-h for those listening at home um and one of the things that i found quite interesting is listening from the spiritual heart um and i'd love to talk about this a little bit because um another thing that i encounter a lot among um, my tribe is a fear of getting it wrong Um, a fear of you know we kind of grew up on this idea Mm -hmm. of guarding your heart for for within it spring all manner of evil and you know so there was this there's this kind of guardedness this kind of uptightness um 
and then there was kind of you know you want to get you, you want to get things right you want to be right with god you want to be righteous so listening from the spiritual heart can be a little bit challenging in terms of making that transition um yeah so what do you think about all of that hmm. i think a big portion of contemplative orientation towards life is one of open-handedness of one that's not clinging to the need to be right or clinging to the need to have the right or perfect structure of belief and open-handedness and willing to let go of false beliefs that no longer serve us. And so, yeah, that, that orientation towards knowing is, is counteractive towards the deeper presence of unknowing within us. We talk about the cloud of unknowing, what it means to um, have a willingness to admit that we don't know. And that it's okay not to know. And that faith is not the same thing as belief. And belief is just a weird way of being certain about something. Rather, how do we approach open hands, unknowing, not claiming that we know everything? There's a a St. Augustine said, if you comprehend Mm -hmm. it, it is not God. And and so it's, you know, we're (laughs) clinging to the right understanding of God. And yet at the same time, the contemplative knows that we don't know God. How can the how can the infinite be held in the finite? How can a finite mind hold the infinity of God? The Sufis would say, how can you stuff the ocean into a bottle of water? <laughs> I, I love that. I really, really love that. And it's probably going to become my new mantra. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so talk to me more about this this cloud of unknowing. How do we... How do we, yeah, help me wrap my head around that, the cloud of unknowing. Well, I would always just point to practice, that Mm -hmm. practice is the best teacher, that we want to conceptualize things as we've been cultured to in the West, that we understand things just with the mind alone. And of course, Mm -hmm. it's a tool like the Enneagram teaches, we, you know, we have heart intelligence, we have emotional intelligence, our body has instincts, and we have instinctual intelligence. And so a contemplative orientation is really that integration of the mind, the heart, and the body. And in that way, it's an experiential knowing, not a knowing that we know with the mind. Mm -hmm. And so... um, Okay. So that interests me, and I've used that word interesting so many times over the course of this podcast, uh, which shows that I'm learning. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess in order to step into this practice, there has to be a foundational belief that that comes from that Genesis 1, it is good, it is good, it is good, that comes from that um, knowledge that God created and saw his creation and said that it was good. So we have to really be founded out of that and, and not out of that Genesis 3 original sin, um, air quotes there. Um, so that, that would be a big transition for some people that have kind of internalised a, of, um, a, a lot of those negative messages. And, and look, there are really great things about evangelicalism, 100%. Um, I'm acutely aware of the fact that a lot of people who listen to this podcast um, may have actually had negative experiences within that um, and may have um, experienced religious trauma. So kind of reclaiming this area of spirituality in what's quite a different modality is, is a big thing, but switching 
into this um, this space where where we believe that we are good, where we believe that God is in every part of us, where we are willing to be uh, to let go of beliefs that are not helpful. And I've stopped thinking about things as wrong or right, and started thinking about things as helpful or not helpful, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which has been help. What well, that's helpful for me, um, but but yeah, there's some big transitions there in terms of. Um, belief and practice what are some of the biggest hurdles that you've experienced for people with people who have wanted to move into this contemplative zone and really struggled mm. yeah i think part of it is uh, our cultural identification and our mm -hmm. need for being a clear member inside of a like a clear like a group of people a tribe yeah. like your people yeah. and so i know a lot of people that are bending towards this more open and inclusive spirituality that holds even other religions that yeah. is, is something that we can learn from and grow with that, you know, that there's a sense of rejecting your own tr tradition and that doesn't necessarily yeah. need to be the case. But for those, those people can be held back by mm -hmm. needing to identify with the group. And yeah. so it's really a process of learning how to rest in a self that's bigger than that, that doesn't, that's well-being isn't dependent upon being a part of this church or that church's community yeah. or that community, and how you can still remain inside of those communities if you're willing to just accept people where they're at and understand that you can be somewhere totally different. Yeah. And Yeah. Now, I remember, and I guess what you're talking about there is, is interspiritual exploration, which can sound like such a swear word to a lot mm. of people. Um, I, I've, I've recounted this on the blog a couple of times, but I watched um, on Netflix a, a documentary series, uh, Morgan Freeman's The Story of God, which was really funny because, like, Morgan Freeman often voices God-like characters, mm -hmm. so it kind of sounded like God was narrating his own story. That was uh, a bit yeah. meta. <laughs> but I loved it. And um, as a person who'd grown up thinking that, you know, my church or, or my church network was the superior kind of faith and that, that if people were outside of that, then they were living kind of a subpar Christianity. That's a type of mm -hmm. thinking that I now view as deeply flawed, deeply flawed. But there was also a... Um, you know, this, this specific warning against in incorporating other types of spirituality into practice. Now, I see on that you've, you've mentioned Sufi, you've mentioned Buddhism, I think you've mentioned Hinduism. Um, so there's these other, other types of um, spirituality that you're not saying is wrong. And like from this, this documentary, The Story of God, it was beautiful seeing the commonalities that, that lay beneath all the different narratives and um, from Zoroastrianism to, you know, the beautiful sound of the Islamic call to prayer to, um, you know, those kind of uh, like Egyptologists who, are, who were kind of recounting the origins of these different faiths. Mm -hmm. There was a beautiful reverence about it all. And, and then Joel Osteen stepped onto the screen and it was mm -hmm. the most jarring difference um yeah in terms of mysticism and and into interfaith exploration or interspiritual exploration how do we navigate this um if we've come from that place of you know right or wrong yes or no mm. yeah we are the answer kind of thing 
Yeah, that can be a very touchy or sensitive subject. I think part of the foundation of it is just the recognition that we just cannot box God in. Mm-hmm. God does not fix fit in boxes. The absolute, the ultimate, the infinite is just beyond any container that we can put God in. And so, you know, God is not a Christian. God <laughs> is not a Jew. God is not a Muslim or a Buddhist. And God is more than all of these. And yeah. so anything we try to squeeze God into, God will break it. <laughs> and yeah. so just that recognition, whatever our little belief is that we're trying to so hard to get right is fundamentally limited. You may you may be familiar with the parable of the blind men and the elephant. Yes, yes. Yes. But good. recount it anyway for those who Sure, know. sure. For the listeners there, there's just this this ancient story of a group of blind men um, approaching an elephant and trying to figure out what this elephant is because without being able to see it, they can't take in the whole of the experience. And so one of the men, one of the blind men holds the leg and they say, oh, this is an elephant. An elephant is like a tree. It is strong and mighty. And another elephant, another one of the men grabs hold of the trunk and he says, oh, elephant is like a snake. It is hairy and long, and another grabs the ear and says the elephant is like a fan. And of course, all of their experiences are true, mm-hmm. just only on the finite level, only on a relative level, because they can't hold the view of the whole. And that's what each of these religions is, from a different perspective, holding on to what is ultimate, what the immediate experience is, and putting language and words to what that experience is. And mm. And so it's, it's not that any one of the religions is fundamentally true or fundamentally false. They're all just different expressions or understandings, limited understandings, yeah. at pu- putting words to the infinite. That, that's really interesting. Um, again, using the I word. <laughs> uh, at a particular time in my life, I was really struggling with the idea of prayer at all like why do we pray why do we ask things of god um does does prayer make a difference or is it all predestined and i ended up having a chat to somebody who said that that he believed in in prayer and i was like oh well tell me more about it and the he actually recited like he 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 recited me something that i thought was poetry turns out it was the quran um Mm -hmm. and and turns out he was muslim and it was so beautiful Um, and it actually helped me understand why I should continue on with a prayerful practice. Um, I did not expect in my kind of Christian egocentricity to actually have someone of a Muslim faith (laughs) help me through one of my own roadblocks, help Mm -hmm. me through realizing that prayer, you know, what prayer is and, Mm -hmm. and what good is. And I was like, that was a challenging moment for me. But also just a really beautiful moment of going, oh, you know what? Of course mm-hmm. we can see God in in other religions. Of course we can. Um, and I guess it's, it's a, I, I like the idea of approaching faith from a point of curiosity and not a point of, um, you know, having to know all the answers. I like mm-hmm. the idea of, um, you know, that kind of beginner's mind that you referred to earlier um but for beginners you do have a specific offering don't you (laughs) Mm, yeah that's right (laughs) yeah i i have a a meditation course which is called closer than breath which is is a centering prayer 
uh, course, so it teaches the method of centering prayer from an interfaith perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, just so it does include like the many practicalities that you know Buddhism offers when it comes to this is how you do meditation. Um, but centering prayer is itself rooted firmly in the Christian contemplative tradition. So mm-hmm. really keeping it at home there, but just bringing an interfaith orientation to that. So that that is a six-week course, and it's fundamentally how to get a meditation practice, centering prayer practice under your belt in a committed, everyday way. And okay. in doing that with the understanding, of course, God is closer than the air we breathe. There's nowhere yeah. to go. There's nothing to do. Just be here now. Recognize God in this moment. <laughs> be here now. That sounds very Baba Ram Dass. Um, <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so how do how do people access this meditation course if they wanted to take it up? Yeah, just going to closerthanbreath.com. Closer all, than the, all the details are there. Beautiful. Is it an mm-hmm. online thing or Yeah, it's a six week, it's self-paced, so people mm-hmm. have access um, indefinitely as long as the course is alive, people can go in and watch the video content. It's very bite sized, so 15, yeah. 20 minutes of videos each week and um, a few emails throughout the week to sort of keep people uh, committed and motivated to keep going. So That is wonderful and perhaps very timely. I find that in this, 2020 is an interesting time in, in human history on so, so many levels. Um, and one of the challenges that we've, we're facing, I think, um, with the intersection of pandemics and lock-ins, with civil rights kind of, revolutions and Mm -hmm. and also just being in our own space with our own relationships and our own minds and our own kind of family situations and and working from home like we can find that some people can find that things are coming up for them that are difficult that are that are kind Mm -hmm. of for the first time in history we're having the time and the space and the inability to you know to think about things and the inability to run away from them um so i think it's perhaps a good time to to delve into something like um like this uh meditation closer than breath and also um you know to to begin kind of tiptoeing into this contemplative spirituality approach that is by my impression, gentler, kinder, mm-hmm. um, and, and more rooted in an idea that God is everywhere, God is in every part of us, um, and that we are safe to explore that where it feels right for us. So, yeah, thank you so much for doing take two of this interview today, Keith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really yeah, appreciate it. Glad to be with you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so if you want to get a hold of Keith's content, keithchristich.com uh, is his website. Got some fantastic blog content there. Um, and then closerthanbreath.com is uh, the meditation course. You can also find him on Instagram. It's uh, Keith, K-E-I-T-H underscore K-R-I-S-T-I-C-H at Instagram so yeah thank you very much and yes good luck with uh, the rest of this pandemic I am crossing my fingers that all is headed in the right direction for the United States (laughs) and may you not have a second peak like the state of Victoria (laughs) yes yeah likewise yeah good to be with you so good to talk all right thank you so much this is Unchurchable and I'm Kit Kennedy